welcome friends in the room, friends in Fort Worth, friends in Houston, El Paso, Tulsa, Cedar Springs, wherever you are, tuning in. Uh, we are continuing this series, Vice and Virtue. I'm gonna start with a story that'll give us some direction for where we're going. A few years ago, uh, at a, um, something we call staff prayer, once a week, our staff at Watermark, a couple hundred of us get together and uh, meet Tuesdays. And it's, it's usually almost exclusively staff. And every once in a while, someone who has a relationship with a member on staff will uh, get invited to be a part of it. And so uh, there was a guy who was a missionary in Russia who had been there for the last eight years. He was formerly in Dallas, had some connections and relationships with uh, people on our staff. And, and he was back visiting. And so uh, he came and joined us for staff prayer. And so we're sitting around in this circle and he's sharing about what God is up to in, in uh, Russia. And, uh, and then there was a chance for just kind of like a conversation that took place with him. And one person asked him, hey, you haven't been here in eight years from in Dallas. What has changed? And I'll never forget his answer because he, he like immediately had an answer. He said, oh, all the storage units or all the storage facilities. And our response was a lot like your response. All the storage facilities? What are you talking about? All the storage? Yeah, all the storage facilities. They're everywhere. These little like facilities where you store stuff and where you put your stuff. Like they're popping up. They're exploding. And we all, almost as a staff, everyone that was there that day will laugh about it now because we all had the same experience. What are you talking about? And then we left and we would go drive around and then it was like, there are storage units everywhere around here. <laughs> this is crazy. I mean, you drive up 75, 635. I'm uh, certain it's the same in Fort Worth and in Houston. And, uh, and they really are. As he just said, man, Americans have so much stuff that they are running out of places to even put it in their house. Most people are concerned about, will we even be able to have a house? We are concerned about, are we gonna have a house for our stuff to put in? And, uh, and really, it is, uh, it's not just something where um, I'm inviting you to, hey, now you'll drive around and see it, though now you will. Um, it is a, uh, it, as I looked into that idea this week or was studying this week, it's crazy uh, how many storage unit facilities we have in America. Like if there was a gold medal sport called hoarding, America is gonna win first, second, and third every time. Like here's what I mean by that. There are 58,000 storage unit facilities in America. Not storage units, not like, oh, one little you know, box counts as one. Facilities or different locations for these places, 58,000. That is more than the... Uh, then McDonald's, number of McDonald's, Starbucks, Walmarts, Walgreens, CVS, and 7-Eleven combined. In other words, it's like, man, there's a Starbucks in every corner. There is 10 times as many storage unit facilities, look it up, as there are Starbucks. Not right now, but look it up. I mean, if you combine all of those, Walmart, 7-Eleven, Walgreens, CVS, uh, Starbucks, McDonald's, those golden arches you see everywhere, they pale in comparison to the number. There's almost four times as many storage unit facilities. It's crazy. In all of Europe, this is going somewhere, I promise. In all of Europe, if you were to guess, how many storage unit facilities, like, you know, Europe's really big. It's bigger than America. How many do they have over there? America has 58,000. Europe has 2,400 total. I mean, it is an American phenomenon. We are the world-class best in sport at accumulating stuff, stuff, stuff. And, uh, and the reason I start there is because we live in a culture that we're so uh, inoculated to this idea that it's almost hard for us to believe that we are really pursuing more and more stuff. And the Bible has a name for a group of people who pursue 
accumulating more money and more wealth, greedy. Tonight, we're gonna continue the series Vice and Virtue and look at what Jesus says about the topic of greed. Vice and Virtue is essentially where each week we've been taking a cultural vice, so laziness, entitlement, pride, and covering it with a biblical virtue to replace it with. And everyone who came in the room tonight, here's the hard thing about greed, because it's, it, it's gonna be almost impossible for me to convince any of us that we struggle with greed, because you're like, I'm not greedy. I mean, greedy is like the top billionaires, 1% out there, taken from everybody else. They've got a basement full of coins that they're just swimming in at night, and that's the greedy people. That's not me. And what we're gonna see is Jesus says that greed has nothing to do with how much you have and everything to do with your heart. And... Um, it's complicated by the fact that greed really is one of those things that hides, it's hard to see in the mirror because it hides behind kind of other things or other um, you know, good things we would say. Like, like oftentimes people who are greedy say things like, I'm not greedy, I'm just cautious, okay? I'm a saver. Uh, or, hey, I'm not greedy, which is by greed, I just mean the desire, the preoccupation with accumulating wealth or stuff. Uh, they'll say things like, dude, I'm not greedy. It's like, I was raised poor. I am never going back there. I'm gonna make it in life. I'm gonna get more money and I'm gonna set myself up and, and uh, be successful. Or it'll hide behind anxiety. Or it'll hide behind just like, no, I'm not greedy. I just appreciate the finer things in life, okay? And it is almost impossible to see in the mirror, but the effects that it has are, are really much easier to see. I mean, people... Uh, will sacrifice their family on the altar of greed. They'll sacrifice their marriage. And it just looks like working a job and pursuing climbing the corporate ladder, they'll sacrifice relationships with their children. They sacrifice their health. People commit suicide over greed. I mean, it is clear it is causing a wave of destruction. And if any people on the planet and maybe in history are in danger of what Jesus says is an epidemic of the heart, that will turn you away from God, it's gotta be the richest people in the history of the world, which is you and me as Americans. And so tonight, we're gonna explore what Jesus says about uh, you know, really what is the source of greed and uh, what greed is going to lead to or the side effects, one of the side effects that Jesus points to and where the solution for greed is. So we're gonna be in Luke chapter 12. If you have a Bible, you can flip open to Luke chapter 12. If you don't, it'll be up on the screens. Luke chapter 12, we'll start in verse 13. And, um, and let me say one last preface before we dive in. Money and church is weird. Can we all agree? I mean, it just is. I mean, if you're here and maybe you invited a friend for the first time, you're like, oh my gosh, really? I chose the money night? My friend finally came with me and you, you guys are gonna talk about money? Because people associate like, oh, the church, for whatever reason, God always needs my money. We don't ever pass a plate here. We never have. We don't want your money. And, and what's challenging as a, as a preacher or a pastor is if I talked about money as much as Jesus talked about money, no one would come. Jesus talked about money, you may not know this, more than heaven and hell combined. I mean, think about that. It was in his top list. He talked about money four times as much as he talked about prayer. Prayer's a big deal, prayer's important. Jesus was like, yeah, uh, let's hit money again. Because he knew <laughs> there's something about it where unlike nothing else almost, it fights for your heart and it fights for my heart. And it can build this like, man, I, I find security and identity and money. And so he hits it head on over and over and over again. 
And so we're gonna hear from him on one of the dangers of it. And we'll start in verse 13. What's going on in Luke chapter 12 is there's this big crowd that's gathered around Jesus. If you look in verse one of chapter 12, a few verses before, it essentially says thousands of people are gathering around and one of them asks a question of Jesus and it leads to our uh, teaching tonight. So here we go, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, that's Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So in this culture, Brothers would split the inheritance. Uh, it was exclusively went to the brothers because it was assumed that a sister or a daughter would marry into another family and receive the inheritance kind of of that brother or son. And so the sons were to divide the inheritance. Apparently some, someone's dad had died and the older brother was not dividing it according to his younger brother fairly. Jesus says this, man, who appointed me judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. He says emphatically, hey, you need to be on guard. It's almost like be careful. Everyone be on alert and watch out for greed. Why would you have to have such alert? Because Jesus knew that greed is one of those things that it's so subtle. It's not like other sins. It's difficult to see. It's not like adultery where you're like, I'm not sure. Am I committing adultery? I'm not sure. That it's difficult to see. No one ever comes down front. I've never had this conversation where somebody comes down front afterwards. Happens every week. Someone will come down front and want to talk about something going on that they're walking through their life or, or um, a struggle that they're having. Often they'll be like, hey, can I just pull you aside? Can we talk just for a second? And uh, never once has anyone ever pulled me aside and been like, hey, <clears throat> I just feel like I'm, is this, is this okay to talk? I feel like I'm struggling with, with greed. And uh, like it never happens. People will pull aside and say, hey, I'm struggling with porn, I'm struggling with, you know, pot, I'm struggling with insert, whatever. But it's almost a sin that we really don't even know if, how to feel guilty about it or how to identify it. And Jesus is about to tell us. But the second thing he also points to, if you notice, is that he says, look, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Like, there's more than one type of greed, Jesus? And he's going to tell us what that is. For life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Verse 16, and then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat drink, and be merry. Now, if the story ended right there, if we hit pause, if you're sitting out in the audience, so basically Jesus says, hey, let me tell you a story. We're gonna talk about greed. There's a guy, rich man. A rich man had this crop, or he had a harvest, and, and the crop, I mean, it was incredible, this very plentiful harvest, so much so that the guy was like, dude, I can retire early. I mean, I just made it. I've got more than enough to live for the rest of my life, so you know what I'll do? I, I need to find a place to put it, so I'm gonna tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and kick my feet up and take it easy for the rest of my life. I mean, I have arrived. God just blessed me with this incredible crop and harvest. And if the story ended there, I mean, what do you think his audience is thinking at this point? I mean, they're thinking, what, what would you think if you're sitting in an audience and someone's like, hey, let me tell you about, there's a rich man. He's a billionaire, and all of a sudden, his stocks all explode, and you know, God blesses his life, and he's millions and millions. He never has to work ever again. You, they're thinking what you're thinking gotta be nice. Um, I would love to be that guy. That's someone to look up to. Maybe he's a role model. Is this a parable on retirement? And Jesus takes the story in a very different direction. Here's what he says next. 
But God said to him, so he's making this story up, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. This is the only person or only time in the Bible that God calls someone a fool. And Jesus looks and he says that the person who has really essentially lived the American dream has lived a nightmare according to God. If you live and spend your entire life like this man, pursuing only what is in this life or pursuing being rich only towards yourself and not towards God, by being rich towards God, Jesus says, or Jesus would elaborate on later, is essentially there's two ways to be rich towards God. Give towards uh, the furthering of God's mission, which is uh, the ministry of Christ getting out to the world or giving to the poor. He says, if you're not rich in that way and you spend your whole life just accumulating stuff for yourself, you are a fool. And he gives us really the first indication or the first look at what greed is and the source of greed. The source of greed, if you take notes, you render the source of greed is the consumption assumption. Now, what does that mean? Uh, the source of greed is the consumption assumption. Here's what the consumption assumption is, is that the idea that uh, assumes everything I earn is mine to consume. The assumption, consumption, what's your junction, is the uh, idea <laughs> that everything, it just assumes that, hey, everything I earn is mine to consume. A, a person who's greedy, Jesus would say, is someone who, who looks at everything that they made last week, everything they made last month, everything that they have in general, and they're like, dude, I work hard, I hate my job, I sit there all day and I punch in numbers. I earned it, and I can spend this however I want to. He says, that man's a fool when he's greedy. A, a greed, Jesus would say, has nothing to do with how much you have. I mean, there's a myth that, hey, only... The richest people or only rich people are greedy. Jesus would say, no, there's rich people who are not, very not greedy and there's poor people who are greedy. You can make $25,000 and be greedy and make a million dollars and not be. And the inverse is true. Greed has nothing to do with how much you have. It has everything to do with what you do with what you have. And Jesus would say, if you're in this room, if you're listening and you have bought the assumption consumption, you assume that everything you have has been given to you for you to consume, he says, you are greedy. You have bought the lie and you have greed in your heart. The idea that everything I have or that assumes everything that I have, everything I've earned is mine. God has given for me to consume. He says, you are a fool. And Jesus says, if you live your life this way where you only pursue things in this life, at the end of your life, you will be like this man. Well, you will have, uh, he says, this will be the way it is for whoever stores up things for themselves and is not rich towards God. What is the this? The this is that at the end of your life, if you live this way, you will experience what he experienced, total loss. You lose everything. If at the end of this life, all that you've ever spent your life devoting is accumulating and accumulating stuff, at the end of this life, you lose everything. Total, it's kind of like, yeah, duh. At the end of this life, if all you have to show is what you did in this life, you never are rich towards God. You never give towards others. You have experienced total loss. At Steve Jobs, when Steve Jobs died, he left the exact same amount as everyone else who died any time around him. Everyone else who died that same day, everyone else who died around him, which is everything. And Jesus says, if you spend this life pursuing getting stuff in this life, you're a fool if you do that exclusively. It's almost like, and here's why I think this is so crucial, uh, is in America, there's like this cultural message that goes out that um, almost can convince us that the, the goal 
of life or what it looks like to win is like playing the game of Monopoly. Like, you know, how there's, there's multiple times of, types of, of games when you play games and certain games are all about, hey, how much can you acquire? The game of Monopoly, the game of Risk. It's about like, hey, spinning the game, the way you win the game or at the end of the game, the biggest winner is the one who's accumulated and acquired the most stuff. Then there's other types of games where the goal of the game or the objective is not to acquire the most stuff and you know, go around twice and pass go. The objective of the game is to get rid of whatever cards or whatever uh, you know, um, tokens that you have uh, and whoever has given away the most at the end of the game is the one who wins or whoever is holding on to the most is the one who loses. Like We all know these games, Uno, uh, Speed, BS, uh, Go Fish, insert whatever you want in the blank, where the objective of the game, in other words, at Uno, if you're playing Uno, does anyone play Uno anymore? If you're playing Uno, <laughs> is like you want to get rid of your cards. You're not like, oh, I'm taking these and I'm taking these and I'm taking If you do that, you're like, yeah, you're losing. You don't understand the game. The objective is, hey, I want to get rid of the cards that I have. Jesus says the Christian life is a whole lot more like Uno than it is Monopoly. And if you spend your life and I spend my life just chasing, accumulating stuff, the goal is to get rid of it. If you are holding things at the end of this life, it's just wasted potential, he would say. And he looked at this man and he said, you're a fool. And then he goes from the source of greed, which has bought the lie that everything that God has given me is mine. Like in the last month, when you look at the way that you've used everything that God has given you, your income, your, um, whatever your story is, whatever he's put in your hands, have you used it exclusively for yourself or have you been rich towards God? If you haven't, he would say, there's a good chance you're greedy and it's hard to see but that's what it looks like. And then he goes to what greedy leads to or greediness leads to in the next passage. Here's what he says. Then Jesus said to his disciples. So then he turns from the crowd where he's telling the story and then he just looks at his 12 boys. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, and yet God feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the wildflowers and how they grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink or don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them, but seek his kingdom first. And these things will all be given to you as well. It almost seems like, man, did Jesus just change the subject on us? And it's clear that he doesn't if you read back through the text. He goes from greed and the idea of here's what greediness looks like. Here's the source. It's the consumption assumption. Hey, whatever I have is mine to consume. And he says, therefore, do not worry about your life. He immediately draws a connection between the idea of greed and worry. I mean, which, which honestly makes sense when you think about it because there is a connection between greed and worry. Greed is the idea that I'm worried, man, I may not have enough. Worry, especially financial worry, is the idea that I'm worried I will not have enough. And Jesus says, I just want to invite you to a place where you could experience in seeking my kingdom first, freedom from financial worry. 
I want you to know that there is a relationship between the greed that you have and between worry, and I want, you to invite, or I want to invite you to a place where you can experience freedom from financial worry. Because here's what I know about you, because I know it about me, and I know it really, uh, just because study after study shows it, one of the top things that people in general are worried about is money. Money and you know, future spouse would probably be the two things that inside of this room all of us are worried about, or those of us who aren't married are worried about. And uh, Jesus says, hey, I just want you to know when it comes to the topic of greed, there's a freedom from greed and a freedom from worry that you can experience if you will learn to put or prioritize my kingdom first, my kingdom above your kingdom. And he looked out into an audience that unlike the worries that we have, was not worried about um, you know, our wants, which is really, as Americans, that's kind of what we worry about. Like, hey, well, I get to upgrade my phone, and you know, can I get a better car, and where am I gonna live someday? My kids go to college. We don't worry about, like, I don't know if I'm gonna get you know, a meal later today. I don't know if there's gonna be water for me. I don't know where I'm gonna sleep tonight. That may be the case for very few of us inside of the room, but by and large, most of us aren't like, gosh, I'm just storing up those Arca bottles because I'm worried I'm never gonna have a drink again. Most of us worry about the wants we have. He looks into an audience that's worried about like, Jesus, our clothes are wearing out. And he says, there is a place that God wants to bring you to where in seeking his kingdom first, you will experience freedom from worry. Freedom from worry. The side effect of greed is anxiety. The second point that we have tonight that Jesus leads us to in his teaching is that there's a side effect that comes from greed and it is anxiety. And here's, here's how I think, generally speaking, like anxiety plays out for most of us out of our life, is um, for those of us who are financially anxious because it is related to our wants, and I think there's legitimately people who are financially anxious inside of the room, it generally happens, here's, here's like the road that we um, experience anxiety on, is that uh, you make a certain amount of money you make $40,000, you make $80,000, you make $50,000, whatever it is. And regardless of kind of how much you make, the line that you draw for your spending is right up and sometimes even right above whatever salary that you make or whatever I make. I mean, it just goes without saying, the average American kind of does this, where, hey, if I make $50,000, I end up spending almost exactly up to $50,000. And so, of course, I have anxiety because it's an anxiety-filled place to live at the limit of my money. And Jesus says, if you allow greed or excessive consumption, because again, I think there's resistance to being like, dude, I'm not greedy. If you are someone who is spending every single dollar that you have that's coming into your hands, you are someone that Jesus would say is being driven by excessive consumption. And of course, you're gonna experience anxiety. And if you will learn to seek my kingdom first, you will have less anxiety. And I think, uh, uh, let's, just, let's just talk real. Inside of the room right now, the emotional response to this is, dude, are you kidding me? We're talking about money right now and you're telling me I need to like put God first and be rich towards God and you know, give towards his kingdom and, and um, you know, put, seek his kingdom first and I am barely making it. That sounds great for you up there, preacher boy, but pretty much all this is going in this year and out this year and I'm like, uh, really? You, you got the, God wants my money again and the church, what? This, this place feels pretty nice and I'm barely making it. And so I've got like a car lease that I have. I have an apartment that I have to pay for. I have bills that I have to pay. And I'm like, I'm drowning over here. And you're telling me that in the midst of everything that I have on my expenditures, I'm supposed to somehow be like, man, prioritize God first and, and make sure that you, uh, when it comes to your money, you're spending towards his kingdom above and beyond. That sounds amazing, but there's only one problem. I can't afford it. And so if you will just talk to God, or maybe God, you can just hear me now, and you'll give me more money, I would love to be generous towards you and to your kingdom. I would love to give you money and seek your kingdom first and prioritize it above mine. But right now, I just can't do it 
because I don't have enough money. And Jesus would say, the problem is, and you're not gonna believe me, that you, it's not a lack of money. It's not that you need more money. It's that you have to put his kingdom first. And the truth and reality, even you know, study after study shows, if you were to get more money, you're like, hey, I make 50 grand. If I made 70 grand, I would love to be generous towards God and put his kingdom first. Study after study shows that whenever someone goes from 50 to 70, their lifestyle just moves up with it. It's almost like this. Like here would be the uh, illustration that may help bring some clarity to it. Whenever it comes to like our spending, let's say this is our income. So whatever your income is, if it's $20,000, $50,000, let's say it's $30,000. Generally speaking, when it comes to what's in, what we're using our income towards, and if we have over here, it's things for ourselves. This would be your rent. This would be your cell phone. This would be a combination kind of of needs and of, of you know, let's just be honest, wants. This is like, hey, I uh, you know, have a car. I have insurance to pay for. This is a, I got in a wreck last week, and I just have all these different things that I'm mounting up, and I'm trying to pay for them. This is my Netflix subscription. This is insert any of those things that don't fill in um, giving towards God and his kingdom. And so really, when it comes to our income, the reality is most of us feel like, dude, I'm doing everything I can, and it's overflowing right now. Like, I'm not just drowning in my own income. I'm reaching into the future. I'm not just drowning in, in uh, trying to make ends meet with the income that I have. Like, I'm having, I have $3,000 in credit card debt. I don't have enough, and you're coming over here, and if this represents God, and you're like, dude, you should really try to like jam those in there a little bit more, it's just not gonna happen, okay? And what Jesus is saying is that if you will learn to prioritize my kingdom first, what do I mean by that? Do I just mean, hey, if you will tithe and have an automatic withdrawal, then all of your money problems are gonna go away? No. If you will learn how to prioritize my kingdom first, it's going to shape everything that you put or every other part of the income that you use. So whenever your uh, life posture is, hey God, at the end of the day, my life is here to seek your kingdom first, not my kingdom. My life, my money, everything is for your kingdom. Jesus says when you uh, begin to live that way, begin to think that way, begin to use your money that way, something begins to change. And it will then become a filter that the posture of your life and your heart, because you're like, I'm here. And again, I'm not saying tithe. And I'm not saying, hey, if you give, all your money problems are gonna weigh. What I'm saying is Jesus is saying, if you begin to seek my kingdom first, you will have less anxiety because you will not spend all the way up to the limit. And I, again, I'm not saying if you tithe, you won't spend all the way to the limit. There's plenty of people who tithe who are terrible with money and max out their credit cards every single month. People who begin to say, God, everything I have is yours. And so I'm seeing through the filter of your kingdom come. I'm seeking your kingdom with my life. And so every decision as it relates to what purse I'm gonna buy, what car I'm gonna drive, where I'm gonna live, everything I'm gonna be, everything's gonna be touched and impacted by the fact that above everything else, I'm here to seek your kingdom. And that may look like you giving one dollar, a million dollars. I don't know what that's gonna look like, but if you can come to a place where you truly, Jesus says, do that, you'll have less anxiety. You'll have less worry. You'll have more money and more margin. And you will experience freedom from greed. Or you can live like everyone else does and you will max yourself out and you live in a culture that is trying to get you to max out. I mean, think about the credit card industry where they're like, hey, let's reach into June and get it on loan and you can use the money, you're good for it, right? And you'll be in golden handcuffs until you pay it off. And Jesus is saying, I want you to be at a place where you put my kingdom first. You put the rocks 
of being rich towards God in, and everything else will be impacted in your life and in mine. And if not, you will experience the side effect of greed, that excessive desire for more, which is anxiety. Anxiety. He then goes into really the clearest solution as it relates to greed in verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock. Oh, it's just funny. Um, <laughs> what are we, pastor? Uh, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So he says, seek first his kingdom and then know as you do so, don't be afraid. And here's what that looks like. So sell your possessions, give them to the poor, provide for yourselves purses or money for yourselves that will not wear out, treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says that greed ultimately can be resolved and is resolved. There is a solution for it, but it comes whenever you begin to generously give towards God's kingdom, something happens in your heart. Your heart begins to shift. He just said, hey, wherever your treasure is, your heart's gonna be there also. We live in a culture that says, put your money where your mouth is. Jesus says, you will put your money where your heart is. And your heart will shift. There's something where greed begins to uh, be remedied and a solution is given for greed whenever you begin to give and be rich towards God. Our third idea from this text is the solution to greed is storing in eternity. Jesus just said, hey, look, I'm telling you, the God who is there in heaven wants to give to anyone who will trust him, anyone who's willing to invest in his kingdom, he wants to generously give it to you, little flock. And so invest, sell your stuff, give it to the poor, give towards God's kingdom and store up for yourselves treasure that will never fade, that will never wear out. It's the safest place you can use and invest any money that you have, he says to his crowd, and he would say to you, and he would say to me. Essentially, Jesus is given like insider trading information. In this life, you go to jail for it. Jesus is saying, in the next, it's A-okay, and I'm telling you, you want to go all in with your money. Here's why I think um, most of us don't. Most of us don't really like radically give or have a posture of like, dude, whatever I have, even if I don't have very much right now, I made you know $1,000 this month, but I really wanna make sure that I'm investing something in eternity. At the end of the day, the reason why we don't is not because we don't have enough money. And, and that's kind of like the, the felt need or the smoke screen we hide behind. The reason why we don't is faith. I mean, that's the reason why I don't. Like if I really believe, like Jesus, anything you tell me, like any dollar that I give, anything that I sacrifice for your kingdom, there's gonna be an eternal reward that awaits me forever and ever. I mean, if I really, if that really gripped and I was without any doubt convinced of it, how would that change the way that I spend? I'm a pastor. And Jesus says, man, the moment you, the more you begin to believe that, the more it's gonna change and shape because if you will come to really grasping that, you will understand that it is the safest place that you can put your money. Here's why I know that it's, it's a moment of faith. I mean, think about, let me use a dumb illustration. Uh, so it, it, most likely if you're in this room, you've heard about Bitcoin. Bitcoin, anyone know what Bitcoin is? Okay, Bitcoin, apparently I'm the only one. So let me educate everybody. Bitcoin apparently is like this sort of cryptocurrency that sounds like it's out of Star Wars. And it's some sort of, I don't even fully grasp it. I won't even attempt to because somebody's gonna come up after and be like, actually, sure, uh, there's actually a statistical analysis. Um, <laughs> anyways, okay, so Bitcoin is somehow the, this 
cryptocurrency or people uh, uh, think, oh man, this could be a currency of the future. It's a one world currency. I don't personally own any Bitcoin. This is not a sponsorship ploy. It is this um, a money or sense of currency that um, some people think, oh man, this is the future. You should invest in this. It's gonna explode. It's, it's uh, the future of money. Here, if I really believed, or if you really believed, if someone came from the future and they said, they came and they were like, dude, hey, I'm from the future. I'm the future you. I need to talk to you about Bitcoin. In a very short amount of time, all American money will be worthless. Literally, it'll just be what it is. Little green pieces of paper with dead presidents on it. No one will use it for anything. Bitcoin is the future. You want to go all in right now on Bitcoin. I'm telling you, I'm promising, like if you really were like, man, this guy's wearing a shiny suit. He's from the future, I guess. And I really think that this, this is gonna happen. Bitcoin is gonna be the future if you really, like you were convinced of it, follow me. What would you do? You'd go all in with Bitcoin. I mean, if you were convinced, like, hey, every, all of the money in my bank account is gonna be like pfft, monopoly money. And Bitcoin is really, I mean, I should trade that stuff that is losing its value and not gonna be worth anything and go all in on what I know because I have future information is going to be worth uh, exponentially more. I mean, of course you would. You'd be like crazy if not. Jesus is saying that that is what's gonna happen. And right now, you need to eat, you need to you know, live indoors, you need to have all those different needs, if you will, met. But there's gonna come a day much sooner than you and I think where everything that has passed through your hands will either be something that you stewarded for an eternal reward or it will be something you're just left holding in the end and lose. And me too. And this is not a, man, the church here, we're gonna ask and pass a plate at the end because we need your money. God doesn't need your money. We don't need your money. And not because like, we're like, dude, we got a vault back there. It's huge. It's unbelievable. I mean, we're, we're, not because of that, because I want to make sure inside of this room, nobody hides behind the smoke screen of, of thinking, oh my gosh, the church just wants my money again. And you use that to talk yourself out of the best financial advice you could receive, which is from Jesus saying, invest in my kingdom. Every other kingdom that you invest in is fading away. It will not last. The solution for greed is investing and storing up in eternity. So here's what I'm gonna press. If you are a member of a church, not this church, any church, if you are a member, you're all in, I'm not talking to non-believers, I'm not talking to people who are like, you know, still trying to figure out the faith thing or just, you know, just starting to take steps in that direction. If you are a member of a church, you should be giving regularly somewhere to Christ's kingdom. You should be giving somewhere. If you, whatever home church you're at, I'm not telling you to give it here. If you go to another church, you should give to that church. That all of us, if you're a follower of Christ and you're all in with Jesus, you should be connected to a local body and you should be contributing there or contributing to Christ's mission in some sense. So if you're like, can I give to a missionary? Sure, give to a missionary. Give to anything that's gonna spread the mission of Christ or Jesus says you can give directly to the poor. That you and I should be regularly contributing and giving towards God's kingdom. What do I mean by regularly giving towards God's kingdom? With regularity, you should be giving towards God's kingdom. That means every two weeks, every week, whatever that looks like. Maybe it's annually, maybe it's uh, quarterly. I don't know what, you know, uh, how that would work for you, but I know that as I was preparing this week, I felt a check because I don't think that I've waved this banner hard enough for uh, young adults here. 
And I felt like I was not putting in front of them the best investment, best investment advice that they could ever have. Because I was like, man, you just don't have much money. I don't wanna create insecurity and create people being like, oh, I guess church wants my money. And I needed to repent. Because it's not loving to you, it's not loving to anyone who claims the name of Jesus to say, look, there's an eternal reward. Anything that you give in this life, anything that you sacrifice will be something that forever and ever and ever, Christ is saying, you'll be repaid a hundredfold. I mean, that's crazy. And for me to hide behind like, oh, gosh, I just don't wanna, you know, give people the wrong impression is stupid and wrong on my part. And so you do with that whatever you want to. Jesus says, you invest in my kingdom, it's the only place that's safe. Bitcoin's not, the American dollar's not, whatever, Apple stock, Bezos' stock, none of it is gonna last. The only kingdom that will last is mine. And so if you are a believer, I want to not challenge or encourage you or guilt you. I want you, I wanna give you like the best advice you're gonna get. You should be investing in the only kingdom that lasts regularly. And so if you have a home church, I would incredibly encourage you. You should be investing in your home church. And Jesus says you will never regret it. How much should I be investing? I think the answer is probably, based on what I read, you tell me what you read, how much do you wanna have in heaven? I mean, at the end of the day, it's not, is it dollar for dollar? I don't think so, because Jesus says with the widow's might, hey, this woman who gave her one coin, she only had one, gave more than everybody else. And so there's something clearly Jesus says, like, dude, if you only have one coin, like you're in here like, I only have one coin. Jesus is like, dude, you should go all in because you get 80 times more than any of the rest of us. And I'm so angry, I'm throwing my papers up here. <laughs> you guys just talk amongst yourselves for a second here. This is gonna be really good. So you should be given regularly <laughs> Man, it's always terrible. You kill a moment, Shane. It's the worst. To some ministry or to some church. Should I give if I'm in debt? If I have student loans? Man, I don't know. You should have a community group around you who helps walk you through that. Where should I give? Towards Christ's kingdom, either a ministry or a church or towards directly towards the poor. Jesus said it's ultimately an issue if you're unwilling to give, your hands are gripped around it, which I know a lot of you guys are gonna leave here tonight. You're not gonna do anything with what I'm saying. And you're gonna miss out. And you're gonna continue investing and building your own kingdom. And Jesus says, man, the problem ultimately is a matter of the heart. And the good news is the more you give, the more greed's grip gets released. It's just something that happens because where your treasure is, your heart will follow the source of greed is the idea of assuming that everything I have is mine to consume. What greed is gonna lead to in your life, and the reason why many of you are experiencing it right now is anxiety. And the solution for greed, the freedom from the grip of greed comes from giving, from storing up in eternity, Jesus would say. I'll close here. I, uh, when I um, was younger, my family, we, I had cousins that had a condo in, uh, in Seaside, in Destin. Um, and uh, in Florida, and we would go, and I remember staying at um, the condo, and I was like seven years old, and, and you wake up, and there are all kinds of different fun things about the condo that I won't go into, but one thing that you do, I had three siblings, and, and so of course, if you uh, are on a beach, and you're not ever really at the beach, you run down if you're a little kid, and you begin to do what? You begin to build sandcastles, 
And so you take whatever kind of tools and resources and this cup and this bucket and these um, you know, and knives and, and anything that was at the house, this plate, and you begin to build like whatever sort of ultimate sandcastle that you can. You're building a moat around and your imagination's going wild. So there's fireproof alligators in the moat that are driving around. You're pouring water in and you're looking at your siblings and you're kicking over their you know, tower and, and you're just building it and you spend the entire day building this incredible elaborate sandcastle, this incredible thing, this home. And then what happens the next day is you go to sleep and because to make a sandcastle, it's gotta be close somewhat to the water in order to get the right consistency and, and keep things compact. You go outside and it's gone because the tide comes in and it sweeps it away and you do it again and it doesn't last. What Jesus says is that your life if all that you're spending it on is this life, you are building a sandcastle and it's gonna be here today and it will be gone tomorrow. And just as crazy as it would be for someone to go out and be like, this is where I'm gonna sleep, I'm making this sandcastle, I'm putting all of this energy into it, Jesus would say, you're a fool and you're a sandcastle king or a sandcastle queen, but you are wasting your life but if you will seek the only kingdom, it's not your kingdom, it's not my kingdom, and at the end of the day, you and I, that's the, that's the fact, as silly, as, as uh, dumb as that illustration may be, you'll be a sandcastle king or you'll live for his kingdom. That's the truth. And Jesus says, will you invest in my kingdom? It's the only one that will last. With your money, with your time, will you put me first and prioritize me? Or are you gonna be a sandcastle, king or queen? Let me pray. Father, I need your help as much as anyone in this room. I live in one of the most materialistic cities in our world. And every single day, I feel the tension and the lie and just the message fighting from my heart that I don't have enough, I need more. I need more stuff, I need more money, like that would fix my problems. Would you help me, God, to not waste my life building sandcastles, building my own kingdom, consumed about where my kids are gonna go to school, what house I'm gonna live in, what kind of car I'm gonna drive, how much I'm gonna have in my 401k, how much I'm making, and not waste my life, God. And I sit before a room of young adults who honestly, many of them are wasting their life, and they're running after it any kingdom but yours, or they're running after their own, let's be honest. And the same thing is fighting for my heart, Lord. Would you help that to not be the case today, but I, even if it isn't today, I'll run after my kingdom tomorrow. So God, we need your help, Lord. Would you please help us to see with an eternal perspective and store treasures in heaven and be radically generous, Lord. And trust that as you say, anything given for my, for your kingdom will have eternal reward. And anything held onto will be eternal regret. Father, thank you for dying in our place, for giving your life, for being the God who was rich, who for our sake became poor. You are worthy of every dollar we make, everything that we do, every breath that we breathe every song that we sing, and we worship you now in song. Amen.